And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The U, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, surge, the surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through, with the U ain't no bark, dude, straight dog when we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright lights. Welcome back to Wide Right. Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. We're recording on Tuesday, October 26th, 7.30 p.m. Wide Right, of course, brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. I'm with Carlos Ledo, uh, host of the MIA All Day podcast. Joins me again for the second week in a row because, you know, Miami won last weekend. Carlos, right before you were on the show. So I'm, I'm hoping this is two weeks in a row where you bring us some good luck, man. Yeah, and not to mention that I predicted the win also, and you sort of uh, dismissed me when I said it. That's fine. That's fine. We'll take the W. We'll keep it moving. Well, let's start with your prediction right now, because later on in the show, we're going to have Jerry DePaula of the Pittsburgh uh, Tribune review to come on and talk. He covers Pitt for the paper, as well as my, uh, my old editor, Walter Villa, who, who worked in Pittsburgh. He wants to be part of the phone conversation. Um, but let, we're going to have a whole breakdown on Pittsburgh with them later on in the show. What's your prediction for the game this weekend? Oh, man, it's tough. I, uh, I just started watching some, uh, some Pittsburgh tape, so I just watched the Clemson game. Um, I'm going to be watching some other games. I, want, I specifically want to watch the Western Michigan game where their uh, only loss of the season came and see what happened there. Um, they gave up a ton of points to Western Michigan. They gave up 44. They lost 44 to 41. So I want to see what happened there. But from what I can see in the Clemson game, you know, Cody, this guy, Pickett is extremely, Kenny Pickett is extremely accurate. Um, he does a great job throwing the ball downfield. He's extremely accurate on deep balls. Um, he doesn't get rattled in the pocket. He's not a fast guy, but he's very crafty in the way he gets out of the pocket. He can pick up first downs with his legs, although he looks like he's falling forward every time he's running. Um, so he's athletic enough that he could press, possess, uh, present some problems for the Hurricanes defense, like Sam Howell, like a thorn from Michigan State. Um, and even like uh, Brennan Armstrong. So that's concerning for me. This past week, they played Devin Leary, who was a statue back there, although he scored on a touchdown run that took about 45 minutes before he got into the end zone. Um, but they, they were able to tee off on him and get pressure on him and hit him because he wasn't moving around in the pocket like Kenny Pickett will be. Um, they love to attack the middle of the field, which is going to be concerning now with you know, Bubba Bolden out, not that he was doing too great when he was in there, and having three freshman safeties responsible for that deep middle of the field. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I hope they just rely on the freshman safeties and don't think Gervin Hall can rotate in there and, and, and make an impact against Kenny Pickett. Because if I'm Kenny Pickett and I see 26 out there, I'm attacking him every time. So let's say Canes win by, by three. Canes win by three. They've won three in a row in the series since they got, uh, they got beat by Pittsburgh uh, up there with, with that 2017 team that was 10-0. And, you know, Kenny Pickett didn't play very well against Miami the last two times he played him, but he didn't play against them last year when Miami nope. won 31-19 to here. So we'll get into all of that much more with Walter Villa and um, Jerry DePaula of the, of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review uh, a little later. But right now, you know, I wanted to talk Canes. I feel like we got to start every show sort of talking about the, the, the state of the Canes. And, you know, 
coming off this victory, Carlos, I'm not going to lie. Uh, and, I, and I'll share this with my readers. I had a 4,000 word story re- ready and written to go, you know, ready to go, written and ready to go when, if, and when Manny Diaz got fired. And that's just the way that the business works, right? We got to be prepared for news, big news uh, with, with stories. And, you know, I didn't know if he would get fired after the game, but certainly, um, you know, there was a feeling like, look, they've lost six games in a row, right. To uh, power five teams and they're in a bad state and they showed up. And from the get-go, and they played. And look, did they catch a few breaks uh, in winning that game? Absolutely. I think uh, if the helmet stays on for that NC State defensive player who recovers the fumble, um, Miami probably doesn't win that game. But, you know, they showed a lot of moxie. Um, Tyler Van Dyke showed a lot of moxie. The players on defense played a lot better for the most part. There were still some big breakdowns in the secondary. But um, I I thought the tackling was much, much better. Manny Diaz said, they only counted eight missed tackles uh, in their film review. I think Pro Football Focus had them down for 15. But either way, it was a much better performance. Um, and they got the W, which is something they didn't get against uh, Virginia and North Carolina. So I guess where, where I want to start with here, and we're going to get into some some stuff with money and, and all that kind of stuff. But in your eyes, does Manny Diaz uh, deserve the rest of this season after that win? Or do you feel like, hey, you know what? He gets blown out by Pittsburgh. They lose some more games down the stretch. You got to you got to sort of cut bait. Well, listen, I think it's it's all dependent upon how the team performs for the rest of the season. I don't think you can say with a blanket statement that this guy is safe the rest of the year. Now, if they come out and they continue to compete this way, like they have the last three weeks, and they're losing close games and they finish sub five hundred, like five and seven, you know, I think he gets to the end of the season. Um, I think he only gets fired if they're totally embarrassed the same way that Al Golden was against Clemson, or if it was a, like a Virginia game closing out the orange bowl or something like that. So I, I think based on how these guys have played the last three weeks, I don't see them coming out and laying down against the team. Can they go up against a team that's clearly better than them and get smashed? Yes, but I don't see a team like that on the schedule. Pitt's good, but they're not, you know, Clemson from last year. Good. They're not Alabama this year. I don't see them being that good. Now, can a game get away from them? Uh, because of turnovers and things like that, then yes, that could happen. But as long as the kids are competing and fighting, I don't see that 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 happening. Now, to your point about you know catching the lucky break on the punt, you know Miami's gotten some bad breaks also, like with uh, the Dontavian Wicks touchdown against Virginia. Right. That ball bounced around 15 guys' hands and landed in his arms for a touchdown. Um, you know, Borgales missed a 33-yard field goal against Virginia, which we've seen him now. He's automatic every time he goes up; they can make a kick, and he's been good from 50. So it's not. Everybody gets breaks and everybody has things that happen. I mean, even even NC State in this past game, they doinked one off the upright for for three points after the kicker had just missed one. And right. thanks to Bubba Bolden running into him, which was really a terrible call, they got another chance at it. So, I mean, everybody gets breaks. There's up and down in every game. And I think the point is you have to weather the storm and overcome that and fight to get a win. And I think they did that. Well, uh, when we recorded our episode last week, it was before Blake James decided to do a couple of interviews with with a few select media outlets, not including me at The Athletic. But uh, he he did talk to ESPN, the Associated Press and the Miami Herald and answered questions. I thought Susan Miller Degnan, my former colleague at the Herald and and a good friend of mine, did a good job answering the questions that she could get in with him. I don't know what they were going to allow her to ask. Right. Um, But uh, but, you know, and, and basically what he said was. Um, he couldn't guarantee Manny's future beyond the season or even, you know, during the season, if they were to lose more games. So um, I I talked to some parents last week 
were very nervous, Carlos, about the future. And I asked, I said, have schools started reaching out to you yet? You know, behind the scenes, the tampering, all that kind of stuff that's going to go on. And this parent who's got whose son is a very good football player uh, told me, no, that they hadn't been been reached out to yet by any any schools. But they were nervous because the athletic director had basically been silent while all these rumors were sort of whirling around. Um, you know, I asked some questions after the game. I think I've pissed a few people off, including Corey Flagg, asking them how much of a distraction Blake James's um, comments were on Friday. You know, Corey's a player. He said he didn't even know that the athletic director had said those things. And he kind of got chippy when I asked a second question about it. But you know what? Um, there's a lot of negativity. Blake James coming out and talking, good or bad thing? I think it's a punk move. I think it's a cover your ass move. I think he came out to try and make it seem like he's uh, he's sort of in control of the situation. And and he did it on Friday before the NC State game. Again, he probably felt Manny was going to get smashed in or lose. So then he could come out and look like the uh, the almighty athletic director who who couldn't take any more of this poor football and starting 0-3 in the ACC and having to step up for the university and be the man that makes the right decision and lets Manny go. And it blew up in his face. I mean, like everything that Blake James does, it blows up in his face. So I think it's a punk move, especially since he didn't tell Manny he was going to go do that. I mean, if you're a man, you tell him on Friday, listen, I'm going to do these these media opportunities. I'm going to go on media outlets. These are the comments I'm going to say. I'm basically telling them that you've got to win, dude. It's, it's you know, win. For, you're playing for your job the rest of the season. Be a man and let him know up front. Don't let him hear it secondhand or thirdhand through the media. And then after a win, come up to him and shake his hand and say, great job. Now you're being a hypocrite because you were expecting him to lose. You were expecting him to have to pull the trigger and try to make yourself look good like the hero for the University of Miami Athletic Department. Now you look like a punk. It's uh, I agree with you. And, and I thought, you know, Manny sort of dealt with it gracefully, as gracefully as he could. Right. Um, given the circumstances. And I asked him the question after the game, you know, how does this sort of affect your relationship or how does. And, and he was asked again on Monday. And, and basically what he said is, look, you know, I'm aligned with winning and, and overcoming adversity. That's what he's trying yeah. to do here. Um, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast before. This is a tough job. And the one thing I've told you over and over again is that Manny is really dedicated, whether he's qualified or not, to get it done or will get it done. He's really dedicated to the effort. And I think, you know, that's one thing that Miami fans will never be able to knock him on if he does get fired is, you know, this guy has made changes. He's made adjustments. It took him maybe a little bit too long to adjust to what was going on in his locker room in terms of some of the older players, you know, giving them too much uh, too much of an opportunity to, to, to keep playing, you know, while they were making mistakes. But, you know, it, 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 it's a tough situation to be in. He's trying to win football games. And let's face it, some of these freshmen, while they're super talented, they may not be ready until a certain point of the season, right. Yeah. To, to take, to take on those responsibilities. So it's a tough place to be in, you know, does the head coach ultimately have to win and, and get the job done? Right. Absolutely. And the one thing you can criticize Manny is there's been a lot of learning on the job for him. Okay. Yep. And um, you know, the way they lost the Virginia game, the way they lost the North Carolina game, you know, there were decisions in there, coaching decisions in there where, you know, if he makes a few different decisions, maybe they win the game. Um, but certainly I think players deserve a lot of the blame for those losses. Um, and, and I think Tyler Van Dyke sure deserves a whole lot of credit yeah. for this win. I would give and, him. And he also shares some of the blame for the first two losses because obviously 26 yards in the first quarter in the first two games against Virginia and North Carolina in the ACC. And this win, I think this win against North Carolina State against the top 25 team, top 20 team, one of the best defenses in the country, a team that was rolling, whose only loss was on the road to Mississippi State. 
Um, these, this kind of win is the kind of win that can spur a team forward and really turn a season around. And I think it's the kind of win that can save Manny's job, but at the same time now, because of Blake James's antics, cost Blake James his job for looking incompetent and being silent and only popping up when he thought his team was going to lose. And then eventually, if they run the table and go 8-4 and four and make a bowl game, he's going to look like an idiot. And a lot of people are going to lose even more confidence in him. Well, I will say Bruce Feldman, who does an excellent job and has great sources, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this in the past. He has that coaching hot seat story that he does for us over at The Athletic. And basically what he said was the reason Manny still has a job is not only because they won, but because the players are still fighting for him. Meanwhile, um, you know, we kind of don't know what's going to happen with Blake James behind the scenes. And I've, I've heard different people have told me that they've already told him that there's going to be changes when it comes to football. Remember, a couple of years ago, um, Miami entertained the idea of, of bringing in um, – Alonzo Highsmith to kind of be the, the football czar. Um, I don't know that that's going to necessarily happen here, whether or not Manny remains his coach, but I think certainly the, the way the football team has struggled, the way that um, the coaching search was sort of fumbled, right? Just a 24 hour search to try to get Manny mm-hmm. here instead of opening it up. I think all of that has not looked good on Blake. And, and so is the fact that they haven't won that the other sports have gone backwards, right? Baseball's not winning. Uh, the, the, the basketball team has struggled here on their Laranaga. Look, I understand there's a lot of different circumstances, but the point is when you're in charge of an athletic program and people are complaining and they're angry uh, and people who give the school money are angry, it's going to put you in a dangerous spot. So I think, um, I, I think, you know, obviously both of them are, are in trouble here and, and, and going to be sort of evaluated the rest of the year. That's the word he used for Manny Diaz. Well, guess what? I think he's going to be yep. evaluated the rest of the year as well. Um, speaking of evaluations, um, you know, I had a, a reader, a friend of mine who uh, shared some information. I, mean, I guess this was making the rounds on the Internet a couple of weeks ago, but some tax return forms, right, yeah. that, that showed sort of, um, you know, uh, Miami's financial records. Now, look, for the record, Carlos, you are an attorney. You, you do taxes and whatnot. So you're the perfect guy to sort of have on to talk about this kind of stuff. And, and the only reason I bring this up is because obviously there's a lot of interest, right? And in how much money Miami has as a private school. We've heard for many, many years that, you know, they only have X amount of money to spend on coaches. And I think our listeners, again, this is sort of an interesting subject to dive into um, because amid this coaching situation, right? We want to know, well, what, what kind of coach could Miami hire? I know you looked at the documentation, the tax returns from 2019, um, some of the information, like bullet points, things that stood out to you from, from looking at that stuff. So the first thing is, you know, this is a, the form that I looked at is called a form 990, which is basically it's, it's, a, it's a tax return for an exempt organization, meaning a nonprofit organization. So major nonprofits put these forms out. They report this information to the IRS and it's made public by the IRS to sort of create a checks, checks and balance situation with uh, tax exempt organizations to show where they're spending their money, to show that they're not misusing their status as a, uh, a non-exempt or as an exempt from tax organization. So this is why it's publicized. So you can look at their documents and see where the money's going that uh, they're supposedly using for nonprofit um, reasons. So one of the things that jumped out to me is the amount of revenue that the university took in in, in 2019. So in terms of total revenue, um, the University of Miami took in, let's see, where is it at? This is the one I'm looking for right here. Okay, so they had a total revenue of $4.245 billion in revenue in mm-hmm. 2019. Right. Um, that sounds like an, an astronomical amount of money. It sounds like a Fortune 500 company. It sounds insane. 
And then you realize that they had $4.155 billion in expenses. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're only left with roughly 89, almost $90 million after expenses. So that may seem like a lot of money for, you know, a business or any organization. Not when you factor in that, that this is the only revenue that the university is reporting. Like this is the university's assets in terms of cash, $90 million to operate in terms of, you know, uh, continuing to maybe fund new projects, um, paying off loans, doing things that they need to do, handling buyouts if they have to. So it's not like they're generating hundreds of millions of dollars in profit per year. Um, and they're not benefiting from the types of state funding or federal funding that public universities receive as well. So this is basically it. Um, to give you an example, I, I sent you an article back uh, last night. Well, if I about- could intercede just for a second, uh, just because I want our listeners to understand that the $89 million is for the entire university, not the Correct. athletic department. And Correct. I think that's the biggest thing people need to understand because you're going to spit out some more numbers here. And I want them to know there's a huge difference here. We're talking about the entire university's profits, according to some uh, 29 2019 public records, um, not just the athletic department. And the athletic department only gets a portion of that, most likely. Exactly. Um, So, you know, and then looking at other programs, athletic departments, um, it's it's kind of night and day in terms of what what the University of Miami is is able to compete with. So I sent you an article from Forbes in 2019, which now they're asking me to sign in to to take a look at it because they want to paywall me. Um, But that's all right. I got it. So some of the most some of the richest athletic programs, this is just athletic programs in the country. Right. Number one, in terms of Forbes list here is Texas A&M. Their average revenue for three years, this is back in 2019, is one hundred and forty seven million dollars for their football program. (laughs) Right. Revenue. Right. And Miami's entire school is 90. Now, their profit, their three year profit average, Texas A&M is ninety four million dollars for football. Wow. Right. Number two, Texas average three year revenue, also one hundred and forty seven million dollars. Their average profit, $92 million. Number three is Michigan. I'll just give you the profit numbers. Three-year average profit for Michigan, $83 million. Alabama, $61 million. So the top three teams in terms of uh, revenue production and, and profit make more money in terms of profit than the university, of, the entire University of Miami. Their football programs make more than the entire University of Miami. And, and so – Ultimately here, you know, when, when, when you hear the university talk about, well, we don't have enough money for this and that, I mean, they can decide to use the money however they want, right? It's still $89 million. But as you mentioned, there's so many projects, so many different things uh, that that go into it. And, you know, Miami doesn't have from an athletic standpoint, they don't have the same fundraising that these other schools do. And, and, you know, something else to mention here obviously is, uh, the TV contracts, and, and it's already been well reported that the ACC revenue compared to the other four Power Five conferences is less money, and the contract runs to 2036. So there are some financial hurdles for the University of Miami. Again, we've mentioned that the, the highest paid coach that they've paid at Miami was Mark Richt, $4 million a year. Um, I know the tax returns that you looked at had Manny at $9 million, but we, 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 uh, we assume that includes probably some of the buyout from Temple as well as uh, – right. Um, yeah, because remember, this was the 2019 tax return, so it was Manny's first year mm-hmm. as head coach. So I'm assuming that that salary included that buyout that they paid for him uh, to, to be able to come from Temple back to the University of Miami. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, and let's think about this for a second. So let's say, you know, the, the, the nine, let's say roughly $90 million in, in profit for University of Miami in 2019, pre-COVID. Remember that now. So it's probably much less for 2020. Um, let's say they, they decide they want to part ways with Manny Diaz. So we're looking at an $8 million buyout with Manny Diaz, right? Probably another million, dollar in co- million dollars in coaches' salaries, um, plus whoever you're going to hire. So let's say just with the buyout alone of Manny and his coaches, you're looking at $9 million. So you're talking about 10% of your profit for the year is going towards firing Manny Diaz. Which is why with two years left on his contract and and the way uh, Bruce Feldman has certainly reported it, um, that that's a hurdle. That's a hurdle that can't be ignored in all this, right? For those of you who want Manny out and and are just fed up with him, um, that is a factor in all this. And, And why would the school fire him now in the middle of the season? Well, to cut their losses, right? I mean, there's parents that are anxious. They want answers. Um, the, they want to know, you know, is he still going to be the coach next year? Do kids just enter the transfer portal now and get out? Do they start contacting others? All of those things can sort of kind of be measured. And I think behind the scenes too, you know, this is sort of a time where you would start talking to other coaches behind the scenes, right. To start getting a feel, would you be available yep. to come as soon as your season is over in December or January? And so all that kind of stuff is probably happening behind the scenes. I'm not reporting any of that because it's just hearsay. It's the stuff that I'm hearing. I'm not going to repeat some of the stuff I've been hearing. Um, but essentially that's, I'm hinting at it, right? Like those are some of the things that are going on behind the scenes. So, um, and, and I think, uh, again, Manny, can he turn this around? I I don't know. I don't know if this recruiting class is ultimately going to be good enough. Right. Um, and certainly the next one isn't, they've only got eight commitments, eight high school commitments. Their class is ranked 60th in the country. Um, you know, Manny, one one big topic conversation and I wrote this article in The Athletic today was was basically him. I don't know if he was waving the, the white flag on Monday, but he was basically saying, look, we don't know how many high school recruits we're going to have in this next class. It may be full of transfers. And I think part of it is strategy. I think part of it is also the fact that they're not doing well and they were hoping to do well during the season to impress some big time recruits, high school recruits to get them to come. And so. Um, you know, they're kind of pivoting to the transfer portal and to the JUCO ranks and, and mm-hmm. looking, looking at guys that can come in here and make immediate impacts and support the veteran players that they have. And I know, look, a lot of people are getting on Twitter and ripping Manny and saying, you know, he's a bad recruiter. He has to get kids that are developed elsewhere. Um, but again, I think the guy's adjusting the best that he can to the situation that he's in. Well, you can't say he's a bad recruiter when his last two recruiting classes essentially are the ones that are making the most plays in the field and look the best, and they're the ones that everybody was clamoring for to get on the field. So these last two recruiting classes, he's gotten a bunch of guys that are actually contributing to the team and getting more and more playing time and looking like the guys are going to be the leaders moving forward. Um, So I think if there's ever a year to not go heavy high school, it's this year because you're going to have a bunch of 
sophomores next year um, because of the extra year. Everybody's going to be a sophomore essentially because of the, uh, the, the free COVID year um, that are going to be the leaders on this team and getting the most playing time and starting. So what you need to do is find guys that you can fill in behind them to play roles, to rotate in, be rotation guys, and accept the fact that they're going to be playing behind younger guys um, and not bring in a bunch of freshmen who are highly touted and are going to get pissed off when they got a guy one year ahead of them um, getting most of the snaps and they see no path to getting more playing time in the near future. So, I mean, that's, of course, their, their bad record. Of course, everything that they're going through this season is part of the problem. But I think that's also a part of the problem in recruiting, too. Guys are looking at the roster, looking at the depth chart, and they're saying, all right, well, shit, all these guys are freshmen this year. Where do I fit in next year in terms of playing time? And then two years down the road, when do I get, get on the field? When does this happen? Because these guys are really good. So I think it's the right opportunity and the right time to use the portal selectively, not use it like he's used it in the past to try and find frontline guys to be their starters, to be their playmakers, and count on them 100%, but guys that could fall in line and be rotational guys to help build up the roster and fill it in. And the one thing I'll tell you is that this transfer portal, I mean, it is as loaded with names. I, I mean, Manny Diaz talked about this being sort of such a unique situation with the one-time transfer rule, the amount of guys that are going to be, you know, shifting rosters. Um, it, it is huge. And, and again, you know, Miami can ultimately run some guys off if they want to, or, or guys can finally decide to leave, you know, uh, instead of sticking around and, and sitting on the bench. Um so in the end, if, if he's able to hold on to his core players, the guys that can really make a difference, um, you know, quarterback, running backs, receivers, I mean, the, the, the playmakers that they've, that they've badly wanted. And then on the defensive side, you know, bring in some tacklers, some pass rushers. I don't think it'll, it would take that long to flip this thing. And the ACC right now, I mean, Clemson, what it's going through, um, it is wide open, you know, yeah. it, it really is wide open. So, um, you know, this thing could change really quickly. It's a very fluid situation. And, you know, again, I, I have to applaud Manny for at least trying and being honest about things about, you know, the transfer portal and whatnot. And, and look, this is a re another reality too. We've talked about this here, Carlos, the local recruiting scene isn't, it isn't loaded with superstars. They're, the best players are the defensive linemen that are available in this next cycle. Okay. Uh, the Shamar Stewart's, uh, the Nigel Lee Kelly's. And unfortunately for Manny, um, it's the COVID is not stopping anybody from taking right. trips this year. And those kids are being wooed. They're going on these trips. They're having great times. And, and, you know, they're seeing what it's like to have an, I mean, those are all hurdles that Manny and, and Miami have to overcome, right. The, 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 having to drive all the way away from campus to go play a football game. Um, it, it, it does take guys who don't care about that kind of bullshit. Yeah. You know, play at university. But unfortunately there's a lot of kids who have parents and people around them are like, no, you don't want to go to Miami. You don't want to play there because, you know, you're not going to have the full college experience, right? You're not going to have, you know, a packed stadium every Saturday, something like in the SEC somewhere. And yet a lot of these kids go away and they're back in the transfer portal. I mean, yep. so um, anyway, you know, you, you know, what's one great advantage of this? If he does go heavy into the portal and, and starts picking guys up um, and the guys that do stay in the high school recruiting class, he's going to get a class of guys that really want to be here. Because it's not because of the results on the field. It's because they want to be a Miami Hurricane. So that helps the culture in the locker room. When you mix that in with these young guys that obviously wanted to be Miami Hurricanes, that really have a passion for the program, I think you have the potential for something special. And I think moving forward, they may have the best quarterback room in the ACC coming in next year. Um, because 
Ungalele looks terrible. Whoever that Canadian backup dude was, or the guy from Connecticut, his backup with 19 consonants in his last name also. Um, I mean, if they if they gave out Heisman's for the amount of consonants that you had in your quarterback room, Clemson would win. But aside <laughs> from that, their, their play is terrible. Uh, maybe the freshman that they recruited, uh, they came and left high school early. Maybe he steps up and he gets a starting job. Maybe not. But for right now, it looks like the Hurricanes are at least going to be top two in terms of quarterback rooms in the ACC. And I think that's where it all starts. Along with all these young guys, I think they have a bright future if they could fill in the gaps. I agree. Um, that's big picture down the road. Let's t- let's reel it back in now to the rest of the season and what you saw and some storylines pertaining to the team. Um, Jake Garcia obviously is trying to come back before the end of the year. We don't know if that's going to happen. Um, but Tyler Van Dyke certainly played well enough where I wouldn't have a problem making him the starter if that's the guy who shows up every single week. Um, did he show you enough as a quarterback in your mind to say, yeah, he, he really could be a, a great quarterback here? Well, I think he showed flashes in the first two games, right? Especially against Virginia. In the mm-hmm. second half against Virginia, he showed late game drives, ability to make plays under pressure, uh, although his, his performance wasn't great against North Carolina in terms of overall numbers. But he finally put it together for a full game. And I think the one thing you saw from this kid is he's got balls, man. He's, he's, he talked his talk early in the week, didn't care, backed it up. Guys were coming to him pregame from NC State, talking to him, telling him what they were going to do to him. And the kid lights it up on the first drive, throws one hell of a pass to Charleston Rambo down the sideline for the first score and gets drilled as he does it. I mean, that set the tone for the rest of the game. This kid did not back down. He wasn't scared. He scrambled when he needed to. He took shots. And I think that's the kind of guy, if that's what you're getting, this guy's going to be really good. He's going to be a top-tier ACC starter. you remind you of any former Hurricane quarterbacks? Just the style uh, he plays with? or I don't know why, man. I don't know why. I don't know why I got Vinny vibes. For some reason. Well, he's got a big arm like Vinny, but he's more mobile, more, more athletic than Vinny. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the fact that he uh, doesn't care. Like, yeah, <laughs> when he does interviews with the media, with us or he or, he, you know, even with the other, you know, the other teams, he's not scared of anybody. There, there really is a fearlessness to him. Um, I don't think he intended to necessarily piss off NC State, but he talked about it today, uh, earlier today, um, you know, he was speaking to reporters after practice that, uh, you know, he didn't intend to say anything, uh, but Manny Diaz did tell him to shut up this week. Like, don't, don't, don't. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he more, did. Don't put up more bullets and more material. But what I like about the kid is the honesty, the fact that he, he, he enjoys, you know, sort of riling his teammates up, getting them fired up. Uh, he certainly did that for Will Mallory. He went and he had a conversation with Will, Will Mallory before last week's game and said, hey, you know what? Forget about, you know, your, your, the way the season has gone for you so far. You know, I'm, I trust you. I'm going to come to you. And, th- and those are the kind of things that you want to see out of your quarterback. You want to see that kind of leadership. And I think that was the one thing everybody kept saying, right, was Jake Garcia yeah. is more of a leader. The kids gravitate towards him. And maybe they do in this 2021 recruiting class. I mean, Tyler was part of the 2020 class. But I certainly think the kid has proven uh, over the last week or week and a half or two that uh, he's fearless and, and he wants to be a leader. Yeah, and I think this, this past week he finally decided this is my team and I need to take it over. Uh, there's no looking over my shoulder. I'm the guy. I'm the man. And I need to seize the moment to make sure that everybody comes along with me. And, you know, those comments early in the week, backing it up during the game, the way he played, everybody started gravitating towards him. And it's looking to him to make plays, which, I mean, it's great. The kid took a step forward in his evolution. And if he continues to build off that, he's going to be something special. Um, I mean, it's great for next year, the competition between him and Jake Garcia. 
whoever ends up being the starting quarterback, the Hurricanes are going to have something special. Um, but, but I'm just happy for the guy that he was able to find his way. And, you know, he kind of looks like Michael Rappaport. We've talked about this. <laughs> yes. And now he's talking crap like Michael Rappaport. So it's fantastic. <laughs> From now on, he's not Tyler Van Dyke. He's Tyler Van Rappaport. I, I call him Swaggy TVD. That's what I, my nickname is for him. Um, besides him, he looked good, obviously. Um, you know, Charleston Rambo had a great game, but really the guy who continues to impress me uh, is that running back, Mr. Jalen Knighton. Um, and watching through the binoculars up there in the press box, not just watching whatever was on TV, I was really looking at how small some of the gaps are that he fits his body through when he's running with the ball. And I tweeted during the game shades of, you know, Duke Johnson. And I only say that from the home run threat and the fact that he's kind of a thin build the same way Duke was. Um, But, you know, elusive home run type hitting back, especially in open space. And I think that they've got something special there. Yeah, I think he's kind of a mix of of Duke and Joseph Yerby in terms of his his frame and the way he's able to wiggle through space. Um, When I was on the inside, the pack podcast i forget this <laughs> which was a nc state's podcast uh talking to to their guy i said listen i've seen on tape nc state doesn't give up many gaps in terms of run game but boston college's running back was able to squeeze through and get a few in terms of five ten yard runs and i said if if they give a little bit of a crease to Jalen Knighton, he could break a big one and man he is so elusive and it's not just in terms of being able to make guys miss but he's elusive in the sense that he can turn his body and arrange it in a way where he doesn't take the full brunt of a hit. Um, he was getting destroyed in it. They were pounding him as he was running the football early in the game, but he was taking shots in a way that they, they were sort of deflecting off him like a great boxer uses his hands and his body to deflect power punches. That's the way he was running the football. And it's just a beautiful thing to watch. And then, of course, when he gets in the open field, the kid's just lightning. He is. Um, Rambo is, has shown us now two, uh, you know how they do in fantasy football, boom or bust. He's given us two big boom games, the NC uh, State game and the Michigan State game where he's shown up. And I know the kid obviously is trying to prove to NFL scouts that he's not weak. He's not just going to get pushed out of bounds. I think this week what he showed me was, and what he showed me all season is he's reliable. He's not dropping passes. Yeah. And this is a guy who dropped a bunch of passes last year at Oklahoma when his confidence was low. I'm not trying to jinx him. I know this, Charleston. I'm not trying to jinx you. Um, but the reality is he is holding on to the football, making tough catches. He's being physical. Uh, I hope an NFL team gives him a shot and they don't just assume that, you know, he's a soft player because I think now he's shown a couple games now where he, he has some toughness to him. Yeah, he's made some tough catches. He's gotten vertical. He's been reliable underneath, made big third down catches. I think he could have a big game this week, too. Uh, the way Pitt plays, I don't think their corners are that great. They're physical. But in terms of coverage, they're not they're not that great. Um, so I think Rambo could have another big game. And it's good to see him sort of overcome that that down season last year and come over here this year and remake himself. Although, you know, it's been sort of up and down for him every time he's gotten the opportunity with a lot of targets he's made plays. That was the best defensive performance of the season against a quality opponent. Uh, hands down for Miami. Um, yes, they gave up the 40-yard, you know, fake punt. Uh, yes, they muffed the punt. Uh, there were some other special teams plays that, you know, running into the kicker, getting flagged. Uh, the, the special team stuff is a problem. Yes. Yeah. But I thought defensively um, the tackling was much better. Um, yes. And, and uh, you know, Corey Flagg, I think, graded out the highest. And then, you know, Cam Kitchens, who's going to replace Bubba Bolden. I know you, you mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, the game ceiling tackle. Um, and, and, you know, James Williams, the two of them played the, the second and third most snaps on the team behind Bubba Bolden in that game or behind Tyreek Stevenson in that game. And, 
you know, it, to me, so much of this season ultimately is going to come down to them the rest of the way. Because yeah. after Pittsburgh, Miami's got games against, you know, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, uh, FSU and Duke. And all of those teams have losing records right now. They're all three and four. Those are all very winnable games um, for Miami. And I think how these two guys in the secondary go, how often they have breakdowns where they're covering the wrong guy or, you know, blowing, blowing coverages. That's really what the season's going to come down to for Miami. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at this game against NC state, they had two running backs that were in the top five in terms of missed tackles force in the ACC. Um, and they just came in and they pounded those guys. They hammered them. They did a good job of controlling them. When was the last time you saw a Miami defense play the run that way? It's been a while. It's been at least a year and a half, two years maybe, since we've seen them defend the run that way against two quality running backs, not just quality. Those are big dudes. Those guys were 200 pounds plus, and they were hammers. And they hadn't been hit like that all season. And you saw Zonovan Knight getting pissed off at the Hurricanes because they kept pounding him and talking to him. And he wasn't too happy because he's not used to that. He's not used to being physically manhandled. And it was good to see because the Hurricanes weren't just making tackles. They were being physical about it. Um, and I think one of the, the promising things also is, you know, the linebackers played a lot better than they have all season. They made their mistakes here and there. Wayman Steed even made some plays, plays. Bradley Jennings, of all people, thumped somebody and got up talking crap. And I was like, oh, my God, where did this come from? I haven't seen this guy in weeks. Um, so it, it, it's been a slow progression to get here. Hopefully they build off this and springboard forward. Because let me tell you something, man, two weeks in a row beating a top 20 team, beating a team on the road that has a Heisman candidate quarterback, um, hopefully getting them back and flipping the script on them from what they did to us in 2017 when we ranked number two, 10 and 0, and had our eyes on the on the football playoff and the ACC title. And maybe we could spoil their season. Yeah, I think that's certainly a motivating factor this week. Uh, Carlos, one more note here, we, we, since we're talking about the run defense. You take away the 40-yard fake punt. Um, Miami gives up 71 yards rushing on 21 attempts. That's a 3.4 average. Um, they play that kind of run defense this week against Pittsburgh where they, they, you know, they, they ultimately make Kenny Pickett have to make every single throw, right? Like he's, I know he's done it, but you yeah. still, but you don't give him an outlet, right? You, you kind of have to make him beat you. Um, then I think they'll have a chance to win this game, but if they're missing tackles and, and Pickett's running over them and, and it's back to kind of what we saw against North Carolina, uh, I don't. I think this is a much better defense and a much better team than North Carolina or NC State in terms of that side of the ball. So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on, talking uh, all these great subjects with me. Um, but we're going to move on and bring on Walter Villa um, to come talk some canes with me, as well as Jerry DePaula, who covers uh, Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. So thank you, Carlos. Any any last thoughts as we let you go here? No, man, I think uh, the most important thing to watch this weekend for me is going to be the three freshman safety. Because I know Avante Williams should get a lot more run this week because of the, the situation with Bubba Bolden. I mean, if you can if you can get James Williams to play more in the striker role in the box and have Cam Kitchens and Avante Williams on the back end, um, you could try you could stop Pitt from doing what they like to do most, which is going deep over the middle of the field, uh, going on the crossing routes in the middle of the field and stopping Kenny Pickett from escaping and having James Williams do what he, what he loves to do, which is just hammer people. That dude plays with reckless abandon. And he looks like he physically enjoys just destroying people on the football field. So hopefully he does it to Kenny Pickett. Go Canes. I think uh, we're going to see more Gervin Hall because I don't think Avante Williams is ready yet. That's the scouting report I'm hearing anyway. So. I, I, I hope I hope Mike Zimmerman bleeps that out because that's a curse word. Gervin <laughs> Hall is a curse word. Thanks for coming on, Carlos. Appreciate it. All right, man. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right. Uh, my thanks to Carlos Dodo from the MIA All Day podcast for joining me in the previous segment. Now we're going to get to Walter Villa, my former editor at the Miami Herald, turn uh, badass freelance writer for everybody in the country. And uh, Jerry DePala, his old friend from Pittsburgh, from when he worked up in Pittsburgh. Uh, Jerry's been covering uh, the Pitt Panthers for a very long time for the Pittsburgh Tribune, Tribune Review, and, and Jerry's been on this podcast before. Jerry, thanks for coming on, man, and, and previewing this game with me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. It's going to be a fun game. So you, you got to give me a good Walter story before we get into this. Uh, what, what's he been like here the last uh, couple months? He's a published author now. He's writing a couple books. I mean, this guy is uh, he's turning big time on us. Well, he is turning big time, but I remember the night he called me uh, from McKnight Road in Pittsburgh in the middle of a 24-inch snowstorm, said, Jerry, I think I'm going to die. That was, that was a quote. He was stuck in a snowbank somewhere in McKnight Road, and uh, somebody had to come and dig him out the next day. You got to a hotel. Didn't you get to a hotel eventually? I, had to, I, had, to, yeah, I had to ditch the car and walk to the hotel. Every, every step I took was like putting my whole leg in, a, in an ice bucket. It was horrible. And I, uh, and I slept that night at the Hampton Inn, but they had no food. You couldn't order. There's nobody to send a pizza, nothing. And then the next day, uh, my, my buddy Jerry uh, picked me up. And, uh, and it, I didn't get my car out of that where I left it at a gas station until 10 days later uh, with four friends from the paper, dug out everybody with a shovel and digging out the car. And one of the guys that helped me dig out of, the, out of my car out of snowstorm was a guy that, that had not come to work for Jerry. He worked for Jerry. And he said he had a busted arm or something. He gave some excuse. Busted hand, he said. Yeah. Busted hand. That's why he couldn't come to work. I said, well, what do you mean, Jerry? This guy was digging snow. I guess he, he liked you more than he liked me. <laughs> but Walter was gone by before the next winter. He was back in Miami uh, yeah. by November, I believe. Right. Yeah. I had planned it so that that was going to be my last winter there. So that was that was um, that happened February of 2010. By November of 2010, I had packed up. I had sold all my furniture and I had packed the Beverly Hillbillies. I <laughs> car full of the TV and all my clothes and everything and drove 
through West Virginia all the way down to Miami, from Pittsburgh all the way on down. So, yeah, that was quite an adventure. Well, I'm hoping that uh, you don't freeze again with your uh, eight-track technology here with your computer. Uh, ho- hopefully, we can get through the podcast without any frozen Wall V moments. With That'd that, nice. w- with that, let's get into this ball game. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, one of the hottest teams in the country right now, with one of the hottest quarterbacks, and Kenny Pickett, six and one, uh, ranked 17th in the AP poll. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, I think, has got, what, 23 touchdowns, one interception. Uh, these guys seem to be playing great football under Pat Narduzzi, who we, we know is, is a great coach. Um, but they haven't gotten off to a start like this in a while. I don't remember Pittsburgh playing this well, uh, you know, in, in a while. Uh, Jerry, I'll ask you first off, how, how impressed and how unexpected was this for you? Or did you think this team could be this good? Well, I looked at the schedule coming into the season, and I saw a gauntlet of uh, Virginia Tech on the road, Clemson, in Miami and then Duke and then North Carolina out of those five games, I figured that Pitt was going to lose maybe three or four of them. Uh, they, they won the first two and now they're nine point favorites to beat Miami. Uh, I didn't expect them to be six and one. Let's put it that way. They, if they win this game, they will be seven and one for the first time since 2009. Uh, and, you know, and they, that was, that was the last time Pitt won 10 games in the past uh, three decades. Was that the uh, Dave Wanstead era? Or when was this? Yes, Dave Wanstead in the 2009 season. Uh, they won they won 10 games that year. Wanstead was fired the next year, uh, 2010. <laughs> Boy, do they uh, miss him, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, they, 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 they lost the Cincinnati game that year in 2009. Brian Kelly was the coach, and they had a big lead in that game. And, and uh, uh, they ended up losing 44 to 40. I can't remember the score. It was one-point loss, and they lost on a, on a – the, the holder botched the next the holder or an extra point, and that's how that's how they ended up losing that game. But that was the last time they won ten games, and they they've won at least they've lost at least three games every season every single season since 1981. That was the last of their eleven and three straight eleven and one seasons, and every year since then they've lost at least three, and they've won only ten games once. If they win this game, they go seven and one. But you know what, uh, Manny and Walter, if they lose this game. You know, ESPN has pit you know winning the ACC. Coastal merely by rolling the ball out on the, on the field and playing the game. If they lose this game, okay, that, then Miami is only a game behind uh, in, in the Coastal Division standings with the tiebreaker in hand. And then Pitt has to have to play North Carolina yet and they have to go to Syracuse. It's not going to be easy for Pitt to win the Coastal if they can't win this game. But if they do win this game, they'll have a two-game lead, at least a two-game lead on everybody. And that would be I mean, really be in the driver's seat. What do, what do you think makes Pittsburgh – better this year what's really the difference oh it's kenny pickett for sure i mean kenny pickett is is into a lot of people's thinking you know one of the top five quarterbacks in the country maybe one of the top three uh the athletic did a, a straw a straw heisman vote just recently uh where they had the voting done exactly the way the heisman does it with three points for first place two for second one for third and pickett finished in a tie for second with matt corral with the mm-hmm. bryce young number one and, and the kid has just you know played a, a like perfectly, almost perfectly all season. Like you said, one interception and about 250 attempts. Uh, after the, the season last year, after the Georgia Tech game, uh, you know, Pickett thought and everybody in Pittsburgh thought that, that he was going to go to the NFL. He was done. He was he was a senior. He was going to go see what the NFL has to offer. But he talked it over with his parents. He's a smart kid with, with good parents. And he talked it over with Pat Narduzzi. And most importantly, he talked it over with Peyton Manning. Uh, he's gone to Peyton Manning's uh, camp every summer for the last three years. He got to know Peyton and Eli a little bit, and Peyton did some checking around the NFL, and he found out that uh, if Kenny went into the draft in 2021, he might have been only a fifth-round pick. 
And Kenny didn't want that. He, he wanted a little bit more than that, obviously. He wanted to come back and finish, do some unfinished business at Pitt. And it, it, so far, it's worked out. I mean, he's played well. He worked hard all summer with his receivers. Uh, he finally has his tight end, who's healthy, Lucas Kroll, the f- transfer from Florida, who's a big part of the offense. Uh, he's going to be missing good, – good chance he's going to be missing Jordan Addison and uh, Izzy Abonaconda, his number one, wide, number one wide receiver and running back because of concussions uh, suffered in the Clemson game. But they got a lot of weapons on offense. Not just Addison and Abanacanda. They got some guys who can catch the ball and run with the ball after the catch. Their yak, uh, yak yardage has been tremendous so far this year. A lot of people will say, well, they haven't beaten anybody yet. Clemson is down. Uh, they beat UMass. They beat uh, New Hampshire. Uh, Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech aren't very good. Uh, but heck, six and one is six and one. And if they can win this game, go to seven and one, I think they'll shut up a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one thing I will say is Miami certainly owes them back for that 2017 season, right? Uh, it's, a reversal, kinda... it's a reversal this year. Yeah. That year, it was a freshman quarterback yep. making his first start against a ranked team. This year, it's a redshirt freshman quarterback making his fifth start against against a ranked team. So uh, it, it's, it's interesting how, how things have changed in four years. Uh, now Pitt is not the hunter anymore. It's the hunt, hunted. And, uh, and that might be a, a, a good position for Miami to be in because they're just getting things rounded together a little bit. Um, they've got the quarterback situation, even though he's young, the quarterback situation settled when a lot of people thought it was unsettled when, when King had his shoulder surgery. And this could be a big, more difficult game than, than even the Clemson game was because maybe the quarterback, uh, I, don't, I don't know, the quarterback might be better. Uh, the, the Miami quarterback might be better than the Clemson quarterback at this point in their careers. Yeah, and, and Miami, I, I will say this, Miami's really started to turn around um, offensively in the sense that, you know, they've got a running back now who's, who's had back-to-back games with at least 70 yards rushing and receiving. And Jalen Knighton has really, you know, uh, to me, given them a dynamic that they didn't have before when Cameron Harris was healthy and still part of it. Um, but, you know, you look at a guy like uh, Jalen, you know, he didn't, ha- he didn't need very many big holes to run through against uh, NC State this past week. And he picked up some tough yards on, on the uh, what turned out to be the game-winning drive down the stretch. Uh, he scored on long touchdown passes. I don't know how well uh, Pitt covers running backs out of the backfield, but that's a weapon that Miami didn't have the first four games of the season. And now Jalen Knight and the way that he's playing, it's, it's, it's an added dynamic that I think makes this offense go. Well, Pitt's linebackers are, are, are very athletic. Uh, a couple of them are, are former safeties, and they've been playing really well. And, and, and I, I think that might be able to – uh, counteract some of what Knighton might have, might offer. Um, and their defense has been getting better every week. It was horrible against Western Michigan when they gave up 44 points. But in the last four games, of course, all wins, uh, they've only given up a total, I wrote that down here, 50, 51 points in, in, the, in, in four games, you know, which tells me the defense is coming together. And again, you know, Clemson's offense is pr- pr- pretty bad, and everybody else's offense is pretty bad. But still, pit, pit, make the plays when they had to. They beat Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee gave Alabama all it needed the other day for at least three quarters. Um, but, you know, I, I still think I'm waiting. You know, you've been covering Pitt now. This, this is the 11th season. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Every mm-hmm. time good things happen to Pitt, mm-hmm. Pitt fans are just waiting for something bad to happen. And like I said, in 2009, they had that great season. Then they lost to Cincinnati when they could have won the Big East and gone to a major bowl, gone to the Orange Bowl. in uh, this year... There's already talk about my God national championship final four. Oh, if wow. Oklahoma loses and you know <laughs> Pitt could move, that's you know they're wagging way way ahead of ahead of themselves, way way ahead of themselves. Um, let's let's just try to win the coastal. Let's try to win the Miami game 
and see what happens from there. And like I said, it, it's not going to be easy. Pickett's on his game, though. Pickett's a real good quarterback. And, uh, you know, even Mal, K- Mal Kuyper came out today. If you guys are interested in what Mal Kuyper thinks, he has uh, Kenny Pickett as his number one quarterback on his big board for next year's draft. Wow. That's incredible. Well, I will say, having covered Miami, I do remember a point when Brad Kaya was the number one quarterback on some boards, and he ended up becoming a six-round pick by the end of the year. So things we know can change very quickly, but I agree. I think Pickett is very much going to be a, a day one or day two pick uh, by the time it's over. We finally got Walter Villa back on. By the way, yeah, before you insult me, I want to jump in there on your point, Navarro, on the uh, on Knighton. 165 scrimmage yards uh, against North Carolina and 146 against NC State. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of what he offers. It's interesting when Cam, uh, Cameron Harris went down, um, you know, Knighton's actually faster and better. But the, the problem is there's no depth, many, and you know this, behind him. So there's an injury with Knighton. Um, I have not been impressed with the backup. Um, Cody Brown and Thad Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Franklin, we haven't really seen, but Cody Brown hasn't done much. So, so I like Knighton, what he offers, the speed, the speed component, but there's no depth there. The other, the other thoughts I have are, yeah, Pitt has played really well, but those two injuries, Jerry, I think has told me they're look, look, going to play their best wide receiver, the Jordan Addison, number one running back. Right. Um, However, I was looking at those numbers. The the kid, what's his name? Rodney Hampton Jr. Is that his name? Rodney Hammond Jr. Ronnie Hammond Jr. Five his foot numbers, nine. Five foot nine. But his numbers look pretty good. Uh, the, the, the other kid, Vincent. Vincent Jones, Davis. He ran for 245 against Georgia Tech last year and has been uh, Izzy's, Izzy's backup this year. Rodney Hammond, he was described today by Pitt's tight end coach as as big as a mountain can of Mountain Dew. Uh, he's not a very big kid. But he, <laughs> he, came in, he came in in the fourth quarter against Clemson after Ibana Kanda got hurt. And uh, he, he end, ended up as Pitt's leading rusher. And all he did was – carry 11 times for 66 yards only in the fourth quarter and he was a leading rusher uh he, and he runs hard too he runs through some yeah, tackles. good yeah and the thing with, with van dyke that i liked in this last game was i think they said before the game that the thing the problem was just rip it he was kind of and it came out with which i personally like not just for miami but anytime i'm watching football i like especially when you're not haven't been proven that you can really run the ball effectively they came out throwing the ball to open it up for the run. And I think of the first, I don't know, man, you have all the numbers in the top of your head, but I think the first 25 plays, there might've been 17 runs for uh, 17 passes. Rather they, har- they, they, they hardly uh, ran the ball early. They're just let it rip with pass, 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 and then, and then get the running game when the defense is uh, looking pass. And I like that strat. I thought their strategy was, was very good in that game. Maybe at the end, they got a little bit tentative, um, but I do give Miami a chance of our, I guess I, I know I'm a homer, but those, those two key injuries for Pitt, um, and the fact the way Van Dyke is, 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 you know, playing with more confidence and I still happen to believe in, in Miami's skill. Um, I, I, I give him a, you know, a, a chance. Those numbers are gaudy that, that Pickett's put up, but he's lost its last two times he's played Miami. Miami knows him well. He's one and two against the Hurricanes. Well, you know, I, I do, you know I, what? I they, they played three times since 2017, and this is one of my favorite stats. In those three games, all Miami wins. Pitt has scored one touchdown in three games, and that was last year. A backup quarterback who's like the fourth string quarterback now throwing to a tight end who transferred after the season. 
Uh, they, they really have had trouble moving the ball against Miami's defense for the last three seasons. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, I put that, that stat on Twitter and people say, oh, that has nothing to do with this game. And it probably doesn't. But it's interesting that Pitt has had a, had a hard time with Miami through the years trying to score points. And, you know, maybe that won't happen this year just because Pickett is the quarterback and Pickett is playing at, at a very high level. Uh, but the, the injuries are, are, are a problem, though, and that's going to be something that the Pitt's going to have to fight yeah. through. Go ahead, Al, Walter. Yeah, and one other thing, too, it depends on which Miami shows up. I, I and, and I tend to be more optimistic than many, but that the tackling has been terrible for the Hurricanes this year, and that's from me saying that. It's been absolutely an abomination. But that last game, it was like a different team. Then they missed a couple, but, I mean, their tackling was on point. Even the last time they stopped NC State on fourth down was when they threw short of the chains and tried to get their receiver to make the play. In past games, they would have, they would have picked up that first down, and this time Miami came up with a stop. And, and, and a lot of that is they've changed some of the personnel. They're starting two true freshmen at safety, but they're two hellacious talents. Whether they're re ready to, to beat a guy like Kenny Pickett, that's another story. But it's a five-star in James, William and, James Williams and a four-star in Cam Kinchin, who had like nine picks his junior year in high school. Um, these are two really good talents. And so that's why I see the game is like Pitt, more experienced, um, and, and Miami, can they win with a lot of green players who are very talented? All, all great points, guys. Um, I got some numbers because I did some research before uh, we came. We did this segment tonight and a couple of things with Pickett. Yes, he's one and two against Miami, but there's a big difference from the one and, and the two. Uh, in the one, he was only sacked once in the 2017 game. OK, and, and, and the last couple of meetings with Miami, a lot of pressure. Miami had three sacks last season against Pitt, four in 2019 and six in 2018. So this Miami defense is not sacking the quarterback the way that it did in years past when they had a Gregory Rousseau, when they had a Jalen Phillips. In fact, you go back to the NC State game, they had one sack and only three tackles for loss. And Miami's been one of the best tackle for lost teams in the country. Uh, the reason they won that game is because they tackled and they sort of limited the amount of yards that NC State had. In this game, they're going to have to generate some pass rush. And Manny Diaz has been using a lot of his linebackers on blitzes to create those pressure safeties, which I think is going to leave the back end open. And of course, Bubba Bolden, yes, he has not played well. He was a preseason All-ACC selection. Um, and he's, you know, he's out for the season now after having shoulder surgery. And that's going to be somebody that I think Miami's badly going to miss in this game because he lines them up in the secondary, even if he's not doing a good job uh, tackling. And he, he has 11 missed tackles this season. He was their leading tackler with 42. He had played more snaps than anybody else. And you're going to have two freshmen, Cameron Kitchens and James Williams, two true freshmen starting in the secondary for Miami and playing a ton. And so Kenny Pickett, I'm sure he's salivating, knowing that Miami doesn't have much of a pass rush and they've got a lot of uh, young guys in their secondary that are going to start this game. Um, a couple of other notes here, okay. The guy, uh, the guy, man, before you get to that next one, Harvey is the guy to look for in a pass rush. That's the one guy that I've been very impressed with, that he can generate something and make a strip sack. Yeah, um, Jafari like Harvey, Jafari Harvey, and Chance Williams lead Miami with two and a half sacks each. That's not a very impressive number. And Miami has had at least one pass rusher the last I, I want to say since Manny Diaz got here, who's at, who's had at least eight sacks. 
uh, individually. And this year, they're not going to hit that number. I just don't see how that happens here over the last five games of the regular season. Some other uh, stats, and I don't know if Walter's frozen again. He sure does look frozen to me, Jerry. <laughs> but uh, uh, among ACC quarterbacks, Pickett has been under pressure on just 27% of his dropbacks this season, according to Pro Football for- Focus, which is the fourth fewest in the conference. Um, obviously, when quarterbacks are pressured, they're percentages go down but he's 21 of 49 for 319 yards five touchdowns and no interceptions when pressured when pressured which is the best quarterback rating in the ACC when quarterbacks are under pressure so he's not just doing a phenomenal job you know when when he's got protection but even when he's pressured he's doing and he's doing the best job of any quarterback in the ACC among the best in the country he won that game that Clemson game late uh, when he was under pressure in, in the pass rush in the fourth quarter, it was third down and six, I believe, or uh, in, in pit territory. And he was scrambled, scrambled out of the pocket and ran for the sticks. And the linebacker had an angle on him, and he beat the linebacker to the sideline and dove right to the sticks and got it. Then the, the next next three plays, the third and five, and they call it a play designed for Pickett to run right up the middle off, off of the uh, Wildcat. And he got the first time there by a yard just by diving forward. So the kid, you know, not only can throw the ball, but uh, he can run a lot. I mean, he's, he's not, you know, no, he's not a Fran Tarkenton, but he, he moves around well. He, he bides time well. And the other thing about Kenny Pickett is when he's scrambling, he has an, an ability to look downfield while he's scrambling. He did that in the, uh, I believe, with the Georgia Tech game where he's scrambled to his, flushed to his right, right toward the sideline. But his, his, his head is downfield the whole time. And he hit Lucas Kroll with a big, big complete pass uh, uh, to keep a drive going. Uh, so when he's under pressure, he, he does not only throwing the ball fairly well, but he also can run the ball a little bit too. Yeah. And in and, and reviewing everything we've just talked about uh, as Walter joins us once again here, uh, essentially the, the pressure that, I mean, look, Pitt, Pitt does a better job putting pressure on guys uh, than Miami does. So that's an advantage. And I'll tell you, Van Dyke, um, you know, when he's under pressure, he's completed only five of his 19 attempts. That's 26 percent uh, for 88 yards, two touchdowns and interception uh, when he's been well, uh, well protected uh, for the most part. He's only been pressured on 27.4 percent of his dropbacks, which is six best in the league and right behind Pickett. So for the most part, when Miami does a good job protecting him, but when they don't and he's going to get sacked, this isn't a kid who necessarily keeps his eyes downfield. He kind of like he kind of looks like a quarterback who not a deer in headlights, but certainly a guy who sees the pressure coming and says, all right, it's time to duck. And yeah, he's he's mobile. He's not a statue back there. He's, he's scrambled for some yardage. But I think uh, Pitt's going to give him some problems. And Narduzzi does a great job uh, throwing different things at quarterbacks and so forth. Um, and, you know, you, Angelale was a very good quarterback last year. Didn't look like one this year or this past week against, uh, against Pitt. Well, the thing about, uh, you know, Narduzzi about the Pitt team this year, uh, you mentioned, I, I asked you earlier about, um, about Van Dyke's age. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me that Pitt has you know, 13 super seniors on the team this year, uh, four of them on, on defense, uh, three linebackers and, and a defensive tackle. And those guys are all 23, 24 and 25 years old. In fact, they have a kid, John Patricia, an outside linebacker transfer from Penn State, who's exactly 25 years old, uh, and he's been playing really well. And I think sometimes when you get a kid that age, uh, you know, he's almost like like David Bates or Randy Bates, the defense coordinator, said today. It's almost like he's a rookie in the NFL. Uh, mm-hmm. He's not just a college kid anymore. And you know, in, in Van Dyke is only a redshirt freshman with now he's had pretty more experience than Pickett had when Pickett played in 2017. Uh, but it would be interesting to see how 
rattled he gets in the pocket if they got to put, put put a good pass rush on him. And Pitt does have a fairly decent defensive end coming on on coming on one side. Habakkuk Baudinato, one of my favorite guys, because he was born in Rome, Italy, uh, and and he played at um, <laughs> played at IMG Academy, I believe, and that's how Pitt found him. Uh, and he has five and a half sacks, and he's a big, big, tall kid with with a big. Uh, looks like it looks like a defensive end. Looks like a kid that's going to play in the NFL it's, uh, someday. But he, he's their best pass rusher on the interior. Plus, they got the Kalaja Kansi at defensive tackle. And did Miami you see the Virginia Tech game? We ran over that running back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the defensive line coach, your your friend Charlie Partridge, was talking about that the other day last week. He was grading the tape on the white way back from Virginia Tech, and just as he got to that particular play, he has earphones on. And he goes, "Ooh." And because he saw the play, he didn't see the play real well from the sideline, but he saw it on, on the video and all the people around him started laughing because they knew exactly what play he was looking at. And, you know, Kansi isn't a big guy. He's about 270, 275, but he's quick off the ball. And uh, you know, that, that poor running back for Virginia Tech never saw him coming. Yeah, I, I, this Pittsburgh defense is going to be a, a, a great challenge for Van Dyke. Um, and, 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 you know, it, look, Miami's going to this game as an underdog for a reason. Um Jerry, what's your what's your prediction, man? What do you think? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Do we get one from you? Well, you know, I was uh, I, I predicted uh, to a few people that uh, Clemson was going to win the game. I, I just thought that Clemson, with all their ability and all their athleticism, was going to was going to be too much for Pitt to handle. Uh, it didn't turn out that way because the quarterback's not ready, if, obviously. So this game is a bigger point spread. It's nine points, I think. I think if I was a betting man, and Walter knows that I'm not, but if I was, I think I'd take Miami plus nine. I think Pitt might pull it out, although they're a very experienced, inexperienced field goal kicker. The kid's six for six, but, you know, six field goals in seven games isn't a lot. So I think Pitt's going to win, but I think it's going to be close. It could be a field goal game right down to the end. And I thought Clemson was going to be that way, and it kind of was, but Pitt ended up winning by 10. Well, V, what do you got, man? What uh, Does the green and orange flu make you sick enough to pick the Canes, or do you got some common sense here? What are you doing? Let me ask a question, Jerry. What's the crowd going to be like at noon? I know it's a Steelers town, not a Pitt Panthers town. I think, you know, noon is an early start. What are we expecting weather-wise before I give my prediction? Weather-wise and and crowd-wise? Weather-wise, it it could be a little chilly. I'm not sure about the precipitation. Uh, They had 60,000 people at the Clemson game, which was pretty good because Heinz would only hold 68. Uh, I don't think it's going to be 60,000 for this game. But I'll bet it's it's in the uh, low 50s. I think it's going to be enough. There's enough juice generated that people are getting excited. Last week was different because the Steelers were on a bye. Uh, this week, the Steelers are going to Cleveland. Everybody's right. worried about the Cleveland game. Uh, not as much interest in the Pitt right. Miami game. I think it's going to be in the, in the fifty in the low fifties. The, the attendance, uh, but the student section is, will be filled. It, it really was filled. It's filled every game. And actually. temperatures in the temperature. Well, temperatures we're, not in get, the, we're not going to get 24 inches of snow. I'll tell you that. So if you want to come it, up, it, it, come up you'll be safe. You know, at noon, Pittsburgh, it'll be what? 60 degrees, 60. Uh, less than that. It'll be about forties or fifties. Uh, pit, pit fans, pit fans and pit students traditionally hate noon games. You know why they hate noon games? Cause they're at party on Friday night. and don't like to get up early because they got to go That's campus down, down to the North side, you know, where the stadium is, it's about five miles away, which, you know, some people, some lazy people, they don't like to travel five miles. But they do have buses for the students to take, and they even put food on those buses so the students will be enticed to go. Uh, but it's going to be 50,000 people to get the game, and it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a good, close game by two two pretty good teams. I think Miami is going to 
be better at the end of the season than they are now. 50,000. So I'll make my select 50,000 people, 50 degree weather sounds like. Uh, I just think, uh, of course, everything says pit. Uh, if I were betting, I would bet Pitt. But for the purposes of this uh, radio uh, podcast here, I'm going to call Miami. And the reasons will be that it's kind of a sleepy time. You know, noon start is it good for an upset. Fan, not totally the game. It's not the old Miami. I think. I think be. And then, and then just it'll be a it'll be a prediction based on Miami's talent overcoming superior uh, experience and those. In- if those two guys are, are – I'll give you all the reasons why. Everything would have to come together for Miami to win this game. But the receiver and the running back are out, sleepy, crowd a little bit. Fans start to turn on Pitt if, if things go well for, for Miami. And Miami, if you want to score in a bar, I'll give you uh, high scoring, 34-31. All right. So Sounds you, about right. Sounds so about you right. got the Canes and Jerry. I, I guess you're picking Pittsburgh to win, right, by a field goal? Is that yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be like 27-24. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, though, if, if the inexperienced redshirt sophomore field goal kicker, you know, can come through for them, even though he's he's been six for six so far this season, but he hasn't kicked any clutch kicks yet. Right. Uh, at, at the end of the half of the Clemson game, they were he was able to kick maybe a 55-yard field goal if they decided to do it. They said they put in – Oh, and Kenny Pickett's hand, he threw a touchdown pass. So I think they're going for touchdowns this year over field goals just because of Pickett and the inexperienced kicker. So that's going to be uh, maybe an edge that Miami might have on Pitt. Well, I, I said last week before the NC State game that I thought Miami would finish with six wins for the season based on what I'd seen through the first uh, half of the year. And they went out and they obviously pulled the upset with, with some breaks finally going their way against NC State. I, I think this is the toughest opponent they've got left. I think Miami normally loses to very good quarterbacks. They obviously just lost to Sam Howell for the third year in a row. I think Kenny Pickett's motivated. Uh, he's played great to this point, but, he, you know, two straight losses to Miami. Pitts lost three in a row. Uh, the situation is just going well for them. And, yes, I, I know they're going to miss their, their top wide receiver, Jordan Addison, who, uh, by the way, had eight catches for 147 yards against Miami last season. So they're going to miss him. But with back up with the backup quarterback, too. With a backup quarterback, right. Um, but I think Miami's secondary, these kids, while they've played great for freshmen, I think there's going to be some freshman mistakes. It's just part of the deal when you play young guys. So I got Pittsburgh winning by a touchdown. I'm going to say 28-21, no field goals. Um, and and I think, you know, again, does Manny Diaz survive, right? That's the question we have to ask every week as I have a 4,000-word story ready to hit send as soon as it happens uh I, <laughs> I, 4, it, words what are you writing about it's 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 kind of like it's i'm secret. trying to write a book like walter there who writes uh 10, words whatever it is he writes now uh when, he, when he's already done thirty thousand words um yeah so uh I, I i don't know that manny diaz gets fired but i think they they don't win this game and then the second half of or the last quarter of the season where they've got four very winnable games I think Miami finds a way to win six or seven games and, and become bowl eligible, and we'll see what happens from there. But I, I just think of all the teams that they've played to this point, Pitt is probably going to be the best one, and it's on the road. There's no veteran Bubba Bolden in the secondary. I just think you know they've had a lot of mistakes to this point in the secondary. I think there'll probably be a few more in this game against this quarterback. Can't argue with that. Yep. All right, guys, Jerry, before I let you go, I got to ask you one more question here. Where's the best place to eat? Because I've got a couple recommendations. They want me to go. I think it's to Moderano's, which is uh, that steakhouse, the Italian steakhouse and the casino right next to the uh, to the stadium. Is that right? Yeah, it's a good place to go. Yeah. Good. How place. predictable that Barrow would have a food 
good question. How predictable is this? No, it's it is the the, the most predictable question, Wolby. I mean, you gotta. I got that's the recommendation I got. We've got re- reservations, but I want to make sure Jerry doesn't tell me. Look, I found some roaches in my in my state. Ah. <laughs> no, I can't afford to eat a place like that. The, the best best place for pizza, if you like pizza, is, is Minio's in Squirrel Hill, which is about no, it's, it's about fifteen minutes away from downtown Pittsburgh. Okay, but that, that's the best p- pizza that I've ever had at the, in 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 the city. All right. A good recommendation. Well, V, do you remember any places over there? They don't have any Pollo Tropicals over there for you, right? I mean, that's not uh, the, the chicken. I, with black um, I, would recommend, <laughs> I would recommend you go eat at a place called Blush. They serve very good food there. Oh, boy. I think I know what kind of place Blush is. <laughs> you, he has you, a place. You'd like it, Manny. You, you, you would probably enjoy it. All right. They have, a, they have a good buffet there. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much for uh, recording this episode with me, and uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. My pleasure. See you in the press box, Manny. Yep, see you there. Paul V, see you at Blush. Later.